I'm Allie. And I'm Gabby. And we're real life sober BFFs exploring spirituality, social issues, all things sobriety, and staying present in a world full of distractions. Come join us on this journey. We've been waiting for you. and welcome to My Sober BFF. I'm super excited for today's episode. We have Demi from the Mindful Times podcast joining us. How are you? I'm so excited. Yes. Um, So funny story, Demi and I actually connected because I'm getting married in November and I was on um, the website for the where I got my wedding dress and like went to their Instagram and I saw a picture of her. She like won something and she was wearing the same exact dress that I'm getting married in November. So I like started stalking her. What are the chances of that? <laughs> I feel like that was like 100% meant to be. It was absolutely some sort of divine intervention. Because um, I ended up going to your Instagram and saw that you are um, part of the sobriety community. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, right? This, it's perfect. So, um, Tell me a little bit more about you and what you're doing with um, the Mindful Times community and what that is for you. Okay, perfect. So I am, so I'm from California originally from, it's called Escondido, California, which is Southern California and grew up there and kind of after high school, I did a couple of years of college and I've always just kind of been this free spirit. And so I moved from Escondido to Orange County, and then I moved to Sedona, Arizona for a little bit. Love it. And then I ended up in Atlanta, Georgia. (laughs) And from there, I moved to Utah to be closer to my family and have really just struggled with alcohol pretty much my whole life. I started drinking when I was about age 11. So very young, uh, was always part of my life. It's kind of ironic because I was also an athlete. So I did track for about nine years and soccer for I think about 12. So I was always very competitively into sports, but always drank, um, struggled with alcohol, you know, in my teen years, in my adult years, actually, maybe when I was about 17, one of my best friends, he took me to a Christian church with him. And we started going to church and I really loved it, got super into it, felt like this super strong connection to my higher power. And started dating a guy who was also super Christian around that time. And so for about three or four years while I was dating him, I didn't really drink. Uh, he didn't drink. So it just, it just wasn't a part of my life at the time. We went to church all the time. So those were some pretty positive memories as much as I can remember. But then uh, he was actually the reason that I ended up in Atlanta, Georgia. And a lot happened over those years, but things really 
got bad when I moved to Atlanta. So I stopped dating the guy that I was with for about three or four years and was in Atlanta by myself. (laughs) And I started working at a nightclub and it was really my first introduction to this life. You know, I had, I had drank most of my life. So it's not like I had never drank and I was just thrown in, like I had experienced drinking and experimenting with drugs and stuff before then, but never any hard drugs. And I remember uh, my first week working at that nightclub, I was cocktail waitressing and I was kind of in the waitress station with another girl that I was working with that night. And she just so nonchalantly pulls out a bag of cocaine. I was like, do you want some? And I was mortified. I had never seen hard drugs. I was like, so just oblivious to what was to come in nightlife industry. And I declined the drugs and just, I I remember being so uncomfortable. I just wanted to go home. Like, I don't know if this life is for me. I don't know if I can do this. And not even a month or so from starting that job from that moment, I tried cocaine for the first time and really just started on this downward spiral. And working in the nightlife industry, I mean, it's so just common to drink and do drugs while you're working. Different states I've noticed are different, but in Atlanta, as like a bottle service cocktail waitress, you're almost encouraged to drink with the customers Mm -hmm. and make sure they're having a good time. So you're, you're basically a part of the party. And I worked at least five nights a week there. So always drinking. And I drink a ton. When I think back to it, I mean, we would just take shots because we were working and that was the easiest thing. So it was like at least 10 shots a night. Like I was pretty much getting blackout drunk every night while I was working, which is so crazy to think about. But that's when things just got really, really dark for me was when I was working in the nightlife. I lost all sense of my spirituality that I had before. I had all these people around me that were friends, but in that industry, it's so interesting because you really only know people through nightlife. You don't interact in normal, you don't interact in the daytime. Like I think back, I'm like, I don't know what any of my friends did. Like, did they have hobbies? Like, did they, I don't know. Like we literally only interacted at nighttime. And so it was just very shallow. I remember being very lonely when I was by myself because they just, they weren't real relationships or real friendships. And I just got to a really, really dark place. And I, I remember my dad uh, lived in Utah and so did my sister. And I just remember the day where I I called them and I I said, "I, I have to get out of here. You know, I can't. I can't stay here. I need to get away from my life. I need to get away from drugs and these people that I party with. And my dad, just no questions asked. He put money in my bank account that day. And literally the next day I packed up my stuff and moved to Utah. And my sister lived in Park City. So I moved with her and she was working in a bar 
uh, on Main Street in Park City, Utah. And I don't know if you're familiar with Park City, but it's it's a resort town, uh, lots of money, lots of drinking, lots of partying, especially on Main Street. And I don't know why it seems like a good idea for me my very first day to start working in a bar, but I did. I needed I needed money. I needed cash. And yeah. I mean, that was always the struggle with me was it's such good money being a waitress. And especially if you're working in a popular place, you can just make cash right away. So started working in the bar and literally day one picked up right where I left off. I found drugs. I found my party friends. And so that continued, continued for couple more years so it's like I was always trying to escape but I just I couldn't I kept finding myself right back in the same patterns and uh, started I got into another relationship for about three years and we I remember our first date uh, he came over to the bar that I was working at on Main Street in Park City and I was so nervous that I was drinking before he even showed up and he was actually come to find out doing the same thing. He went and had a couple drinks before we even met up. We met up at the bar I worked at, had a few more drinks, went to dinner, had a bottle of champagne. So like our first date, we were like blackout, wasted. And literally that's just kind of how our relationship continued. So we drank together every day, every night. And I, I was a blackout drinker. So I didn't really drink necessarily to have a fun and, and enjoy my time. It was more drinking until I blacked out. That's just what I did. <clears throat> we would day drink on the weekends. And I just, honestly, I just felt like I was in such a dark place. I had no sense of spirituality whatsoever. And I had tried quitting so many times but being with a partner who drinks that much and has no intention of quitting or taking a break I just I felt that my environment played such a factor in me not being able to get sober if I was around alcohol I was drinking like it was so hard for me to be around anybody or in any type of situation where there was alcohol and not drink and so I just, after years of trying to get sober and not being able to, I just, I knew that if I was serious about it and if I really wanted to quit that I needed to change my environment. And so after trying to make that relationship work and expressing my feelings and concern with my environment and nothing changing, I knew that I needed to leave. And so I literally just, packed up and I found some random roommates on Facebook marketplace, moved in with two strangers and left. Like I just, I left and actually ended up changing my jobs and stopped hanging out with all my drinking friends. Like for me, getting sober meant cutting all ties. And I think for a lot of people that's very scary and that's something that they avoid doing. It's stepping into the unknown and literally creating a new life from scratch. And 
not everybody has to go that route. Um, some people can continue hanging out with their friends that drink and continue being in those environments. But for me, I just, I knew I couldn't do it. So changed my life completely, got sober, um, started sharing my story. I, I've always been very vocal about my sobriety and sharing my story on the internet, whatever. I don't, I don't really have any like fear of judgment as far as sobriety. I've always been kind of an open book about it. And so I think that when you're vulnerable and sharing such a vulnerable topic on the internet, people naturally are drawn to that and they start feeling connected. And I think that a lot of people who do drink, even if they maybe don't have an addiction or it's not that big of a problem. I feel like most people have this deep down feeling that maybe it's not the best for them. So when there's somebody like me that's speaking out a lot about it, I just started noticing all these people coming out of nowhere, people that I I never thought had an issue or anything. And they just started telling me, thank you for sharing your story. I can relate. And so that's when I created Mindful Times, which started out as my blog. And I really liked that platform at the time because I was just getting sober. It was almost a form of journaling for me. So I would just pour my heart out with writing. I, I felt like I was able to communicate better through writing. And so um, started that. And then as more people started to come out, I just figured that maybe starting the podcast would be a good way to just speak with people. And I found that it's kind of hard for people nowadays to sit and read a blog. Uh, some people do it. A lot of people just are so busy with life. They don't really have the time to sit and read a blog. So I figured, why don't I just do a podcast so that people can listen on their way to work or at work or while they're doing laundry. So it just kind of was an easier platform. And um, also another thing that we've started doing is sobriety meetings and meditation. So I grew up, uh, I actually don't love this term so much anymore, but woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I grew up in a, in a woo-woo family. So uh, both of my grandparents and my mom are Reiki masters. Awesome. So my grandma and my grandpa um, are familiar with a lot of different modalities of spiritual healing. So that's always kind of been in my family. And I, I really lost a lot of that when I was drinking. And so when I got sober, that was a big part of it for me was trying to gain back that spirituality that I felt that I lost. And uh, I had tried AA and I just I think it's a great program and I think it helps so much with people with addictions. There's so many good things that come from it, but it just didn't fit for me. And so I was, I was seeking that same type of community because I think that's ultimately what we're searching for is community, uh, but kind of in a different setting with people who were more open to spirituality and mindfulness and meditation. So me and a good friend of mine who is actually uh, a Reiki master, we started holding these sobriety meetings and meditations. 
and it's been going really well. And I really just like the integration of sobriety and mindfulness. Yeah, I think that's great. I absolutely yeah. love that you have started doing the meetings with the meditation. Um, mm -hmm. I also, my path to sobriety um, was actually kind of like a side effect of my spiritual journey. Like I felt like really? I needed to get sober to yeah. be able to continue to connect. Um, but like AA also did not really resonate with me. I think that um, I know it works for people obviously, like, or it wouldn't be so huge. <laughs> but um, for me, I think that um, I mean, I grew up in church and the idea that you always have to kind of give your power away to somebody else and, and let that be kind of like, you're almost, um, I don't want to say weak, but that you are just mm -hmm. kind of, because I do believe in surrendering to the process and surrendering to, you know, yeah. moving forward in this life. But the idea that you kind of have to have this higher power that takes over and that you are powerless to alcohol or you don't have the power to remain sober in yourself. Um, did not resonate with me at all. <laughs> so I've always been kind of like a strong, independent woman. Yeah, and exactly. The idea <laughs> of of that, like, I'm not powerless. You know, like I just there were certain things, um, and the I also manifesting is a huge thing to me. So I really believe in the power of words, and words create your reality, and the idea of you know. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. Like mm -hmm. saying that to yourself every day. I was like, I don't want to be an alcoholic. So I'm not going to tell myself every day that I'm an alcoholic. So that was another part of AA that I just really didn't feel comfortable with. I didn't want to identify myself as an alcoholic. Even if I may have been, I feel like I choose now moving forward that I'm no longer an alcoholic. So I didn't really feel comfortable telling myself that every day, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Sobriety, I think at some point, once you, maybe you've been sober for a long time, for me, it's, it's been a little over seven months. So I'm still a baby in my sobriety, but I, I feel like, um, in my mind, 10 years from now, I don't want to be thinking about alcohol every day. I don't right. want my sobriety to be like, Hey, I'm sober and I'm Gabby. Like, no, I'm Gabby exactly. and sobriety is part of who I am. So that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask, um, you kind of shared about your journey of coming into sobriety, but did, did it feel like it was this big, long process for you? Or was it something that was kind of like this day today, I'm getting sober and like that was it? So for me, I, I had always struggled with alcohol and it more so had a hold over me. So I wasn't oblivious to the fact that I had a problem. I knew it all along. I just I felt like I couldn't get away from it. And so I wasn't avoiding admitting it or anything. Um, if anything, it was the opposite. So for me, I was an angry drunk. I would um, get blackout and this rage would come out. And, you know, at this point, I wasn't even myself. Like I would check out and whatever would just come out of me. I was physically abusive to my partners. Um, and so when those things would happen, you know, the next day I would realize what I had done. And it was kind of like, I, I knew that that wasn't me. I knew that wasn't the type of person that I was. And so each time that these things would happen, I would just 
be seeking help, um, asking my partner, you know, what, like, I need to get sober, basically, like, I'll do anything. I just, I need to get sober because I know if I get sober, I will not be this crazy, angry, hurtful person. And so I did, I did try a lot of things and it was literally years of me trying to get sober and I would try AA and I would read different books and I would reach out to people that I knew that were sober and I, I wanted to, I really did, but it was just so dang hard. I, I, I know that it was my environment because that's just, that's just me and how I am when it was around me. I, I couldn't say no. I just, I couldn't. And so I tried for a really long time and it, it literally was environment because as soon, like the day that I changed my environment was the day I got sober and I've been sober since. So it was a long process of me trying, but as soon as I changed my environment, that was it. I didn't look back. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's also everybody with the community thing. I think like, I know that the reason why Allie and I started the My Sober BFF podcast was to create a sense of community and connect with other people. And so sharing your story and being able to say like, hey, it took me a while to get to this point. And I know that my environment contributed to that. There, That's going to resonate with so many people. Um, yeah. And Allie's story is completely different. Hers was kind of like the rock bottom. And then she continued to work in bars and stuff. And she still, you know, works around alcohol or goes out with her partner and is able to be in those environments. Um, and speaking about that and the environment, I know that you just got married and I did ask if any subjects were off topic. So I do want to know if your partner, does your partner drink? He does not. Okay. So no. I was curious about that. Yeah. And honestly, that's, that's huge for me. And I think it is important for people to share their stories because like you said, everybody's is so much different. And for me, like environment was huge. And then choosing my partner, like for me, I already knew that I couldn't be with somebody who drank. Mm -hmm. And there are people who can and are totally fine with it. But for me, especially in the beginning, I, I knew I couldn't, I didn't want to be around it. And I knew that I couldn't. And so the fact that he didn't drink was very important to me, especially in my early sobriety. Yeah, that's awesome. How'd you guys meet? So we, so we actually both work in real estate. So we worked on the same real estate team, but um, he and one other person that we worked with are really into conspiracy theories <laughs> and true crime. And so we, the three of us actually ended up creating a true crime and conspiracy podcast. And so we, we've done that together for um, over a year, so maybe like a year and a half, the three of us have done that together. So we had been friends before um, through doing the podcast and working together. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so 
going back kind of into your sobriety story specifically, because I don't want to get too far off on a tangent because I could talk about that stuff all day too. But yeah. <laughs> um, if you were able to go back to where you were when you first kind of entered into your sobriety, what advice would you have given yourself in those early stages? I think to just really be gentle with myself. Um, I think that we can really get you know, hard on ourselves, especially in early sobriety. And I think it would just be to be gentle with myself. And also, um, I kind of did this, but just seeking out any type of resource and really building a sobriety toolbox. Uh, I think that that's like one of the most important things, especially in early sobriety is just making sure that you have all different types of tools at your disposal when you need them. Yeah, that actually goes into my next question. What oh, are awesome. some of the tools, <laughs> like what are some of the tools or books or things that you used to help you um, and still use to help you just maintain your sobriety and um, kind of refill that cup? So the one book that I like rave about and probably always will because it was the catalyst to my sobriety and helping me stay sober was Annie Grace's This Naked Mind. Yes. So I am like the biggest Annie Grace fan. I watch all of her YouTube videos, podcasts. I've read the book. It has to be like close to 10 times now. Um, but that book really it gave me the knowledge that I needed to not go back. Uh, I'm very, I can be very analytical and her book really gave the science behind what alcohol does to our body, to our brain. And for me, once I knew all that stuff, it was really hard for me to go back. You know, it's, you can't unlearn that stuff. So once you know it's the like damage the that you're doing, yeah, once you, <laughs> once you know what the damage that it's doing, it's really hard to go back to ignoring it. Yeah. I also, um, so Allie, when she got sober a couple of years ago, she actually recommended that I read that book, but I was like, not ready then. So I was like, I'm not reading that. I don't care. Like, I'm going to go drink my bottle of wine and like, don't talk yeah. to me. Um, and then actually, I actually read it about a month ago, I started reading it and I just finished it a couple weeks ago. Um, and I was struggling a little bit with staying sober. I was, I was kind of to that point where you're like, it's been seven months. Maybe I can have like a drink and I'll just have one. And I would be fine if I just had one. Right. Like, uh, so I was like, tell me that book again. I'm going to read it. And I, well, I actually listened to it because again, like people don't like to sit down and read anymore. Yeah. Um, so I, I listened to it on audible and the first chapter, I was like, oh, I'm definitely not doing this again. I don't know why I even thought about it. Like, there's absolutely no way. And people have come to me to share their, their stories and their struggles and challenges with alcohol. And I'm like, hey, it's like the Bible. I'm like, here, you need to just read this book. Like, and then you can talk to me after you're done reading it. But first, just start here. <laughs> oh, I recommend this book all the time. I really feel like it, it does just like change people's lives. It changes people's perspective around alcohol. And I just really like her approach. Uh, she does uh, a 30-day alcohol experiment too that I also did. And so that's actually how I came up with the name Mindful Times. 
was kind of through my process through Annie Grace's 30 day alcohol experiment. Um, because her whole approach is, okay, you don't have to quit drinking because when you tell people they have to quit drinking, it immediately puts them into fear. And mm -hmm. that is usually what stops people from, you know, taking the first step is I don't want to stop drinking forever. Like I can't imagine my life, you know, alcohol free for the rest of my life. And so her whole approach is okay, just do this 30 day alcohol experiment. And she kind of just like walks you through each day. And it's more of thinking about how you're feeling. So on that day one, you know, a lot of people, if you drink very heavy, like I did, you actually detox. And so you don't feel very great the first couple of days. So she's sending you these videos that's kind of explaining the science behind what's happening when you detox and how are you feeling? And for the first time, I was like actually asking myself, how am I feeling? I, how am I feeling? And then when it started getting to the point, uh, for me, it was like detox and then okay, I was sober and then cravings hit. So mm -hmm. as I was still, you know, in that same environment, I was um, starting to think more about drinking and thinking like, do I, do I really want to be sober forever? And cravings are, are normal, especially in early sobriety. And it does take a while to get past the cravings for some people. It took me a while, like physical cravings, like my body was craving alcohol because I had had it for so long. And so having her videos that are walking me through, like, what is a craving? What's the science behind the craving? And then sitting with the feeling of a craving, like, how are you feeling? What happened before you started having this craving? Like, what triggered it? And I realized that I had never really thought about these things mm -hmm. and a lot of her approach is being mindful and thinking about the way your body feels and thinking about why you feel the certain ways that you feel and I realized that I had just never asked myself a lot of these questions I've never allowed myself to sit with myself and my thoughts and my feelings and ask myself why they're there so her approach is definitely a more mindful one and that's how I kind of came up with the name Mindful Times. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I like how you have that little Annie Grace tie with your community. Oh, um, I love her. I, I really do too. I, I, as soon as I got, like finished reading, well, listening to the Audible, mm -hmm. I just kind of like started um, mass consuming like all of the stuff that she has out yeah. there because that's kind yeah. of just how I work. I mean, I guess that's how a lot of people who struggle with addiction work, you just kind of like find something that you love and you're like, oh my God, give exactly. me as much as I can possibly get at one time. Uh, so yeah, I did kind of binge her, <laughs> her content. Um, so on your podcast, every time you're ending with a guest, you always ask them what kind of mindful practices they have or if they have like um, something that they're doing that you know encourages mindfulness. What do you use? So I'll give you a little... Um, backstory. So I, I mentioned that I went to Christian church for a while. And <clears throat> although now my beliefs, you know, around religion and spirituality have changed, I do remember the first time that I felt a very strong connection to my higher power. And that was one of the first times that I went to church with my best friend in California. Um, 
he's my gay best friend. We've been best friends since like fourth grade. And he took me to this church, a Christian church. And it was unlike anything I was expecting. Um, it was a lot of younger people. They had tattoos and piercings and just really cool. The music, it was like a rock band. And I was like, what is this? This is awesome. <laughs> and I really love music. I really connect with music. So we were there and it was like, they were playing the music and I just, I felt just this presence. I had like full body chills and it was just so loving and it just felt so good. And I remember it just like feeling this almost like high after that. It just, I was so happy and just like so full of energy and just felt so much love. And I was like, that must be like a feeling of a higher presence, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I was, you know, got into my dark times drinking a ton. I felt like I lost all my spirituality. And when I got sober, it was like very important for me to try to get that back. And honestly, I'm still working on it. It's, it's a long process and everybody does it different. And I, I even tried going to a few different churches to see if I could find something that gave me that feeling. And I just, I was having a really hard time and also what I realized was once I got sober, um, I think in your podcast episode, you touched briefly on transfer of addiction and mm -hmm. it is a real thing. Like no matter what your addiction is, once you cut it out, it is very possible for you to transfer your addiction into something else. And when I got sober, I, I didn't realize it at first, but there was a lot of little things like shopping. I would just, go to stores for like hours and I would buy things, but it was more just like distraction. Mm -hmm. You know, I always had this feeling of like needing to be occupied doing something. Like I didn't want to feel bored. And I started spending a lot more time on social media. And then there was caffeine. I like started drinking a ton of caffeine and I, I wasn't feeling good. Mm -hmm. And so I started noticing all these things I'm like, okay, something going on here and I started to realize that I was just distracting myself like I I didn't want to be alone with myself I didn't want to be present and it makes sense as to why I was drinking so much it was for the same reason to pretty much numb out and not have to deal with feelings and emotions and so mm -hmm. when I got sober I was still doing that but in other ways and so I started thinking more about meditation and mindfulness. And I don't know if you're familiar um, with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm -hmm. So I got uh, pretty into Dr. Joe Dispenza. My mom does his meditations like every day and is crazy about it. And so I started, <clears throat> I read one of his books, uh, Becoming Supernatural and totally just resonated with me. Like my mind works that way. Like I love the science behind quantum stuff and spirituality. Yeah. And so I really like started getting more into meditation. And it was the first time that I finally like allowed myself to just calm down, like just be still, be present. And it's really 
really hard. It's really hard, especially in the beginning, um, just so much chatter going on. And uh, so I struggled with it. And typically when things are hard like that for me, I just kind of push it off. But mm -hmm. I just felt the need to keep trying. So I was doing meditation and Reiki and really just trying to like figure it all out, find my higher power. But meditation for me has been huge. Um, I'm still, I'm still working through that connection with my higher power. Uh, I don't know how to explain it, but with alcohol and drugs, I feel like it like cut the cord. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but put up some type of heart wall. And so it's been a process of just um, learning how to open my heart a little bit more and be emotional and allow myself to feel. And yeah, meditation for me in my sobriety and trying to reconnect to my higher power has been huge. Thank you for being so vulnerable. That's kind of a, yeah, a big thing course, to share that. Um, but I, I, that resonated with me hardcore. I got chills when you said that because that was, like I said, my sobriety was a side effect of my spiritual journey. And mm -hmm. I felt that I was not getting that full connection. And I no longer wanted to kind of dim it and like, you know, escape my reality. Reality became yeah. something that I wanted to experience. And I did feel like um, the drugs, the alcohol, all of that stuff really did just completely cut me off from being able to connect on that greater level. So yeah. um, you, I just got like full chills when you said that yeah. because that is, and, and repairing that connection and, and being able to reconnect with those emotions. I mean, there's the science behind like, you're not, you don't continue developing while you're using, like your, your brain kind of stops the emotional maturity. Like yeah. that would normally happen if you were able to be present and develop the different skills and coping mechanisms that humans are supposed to develop as they grow. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think on top of trying to reestablish that spiritual connection and that spiritual tie, we also are learning those coping skills and coping mechanisms that people learned when they were 15 that we're getting now that we're, you know, in our thirties or late twenties or whatever. So isn't it crazy? I think about that all the time. Like since being sober, there's so many like skills that you should just normally learn over time that I just felt like I didn't have. I I used alcohol so much to connect with others. And I mean, I have really bad social anxiety. So mm -hmm. I would drink a ton for that. And like now without it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't really know how to talk to people. I don't know how to connect. I don't, there's like all these things that you have to learn once you get sober, when you've been drinking for so long. So I think it's important just to remember that that's okay. Like. Mm -hmm. I was pretty hard on myself with that stuff, but you finally just get to a point where it's like, you just realize all the damage that's been done over the years and realize that it's like a child. Now you have to learn yeah. these things and it's okay to take time and do it at your own pace. Yes, and absolutely be gentle. Like you said, be gentle with yourself because there are gonna be times, I mean, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I can be like, almost like a child and having kind of emotional outbursts. And then I'm like, 
my three-year-old doesn't even do that. What yeah. am I doing? And it's, it's just my way of dealing with the emotions that I didn't, you know, learn appropriate coping exactly. skills for this time, all this time I was drinking because instead of dealing with emotions, I was using drugs and alcohol to not have to be present for those things. So, um, and I think too, speaking on the heart block, I love that you mentioned Reiki. I think Reiki is so powerful when it comes to removing some of those blockages and get getting things kind of flowing again. Um, I uh, am learning Reiki. So when you start talking about all that stuff and having your family be um, into that stuff, I'm definitely more of the, the alternative healing modalities Mm -hmm. and energy work and spiritual kind of um, all of that realm is my, is my playground and my passion. So, uh, yeah, that's all of that has been huge for me in sobriety. I, I love the healing spiritual work. Like I said, that's, that's how I grew up. So I feel like I'm naturally like gravitating towards that but it's super powerful um that's awesome that you're doing reiki it's it's literally just like such an amazing tool it really really is yeah so um before we sign off today i wanted to ask if there's anything else you wanted to share with the community or um anything that you feel called to um maybe leave as a message for people as they listen to this podcast yeah i just I really wanted to say thank you to you and Allie for creating this podcast. Um, I actually listened to both of your episodes, your stories uh, this morning. So I got a chance to get to know you guys a little bit more through sharing. Um, I just think that it's so important to find community. Um, Like I said, AA didn't fit for me. Some people it does. It allows them to find that sense of community and be around other people that they can connect with. But if that's not for you, I just like encourage people to try everything. Uh, There are so many different types of recovery communities out there um, that are not, you know, AA. Just really encourage people to get on the internet see what's out there, find a community that works for them. There's also a ton of online, like Facebook communities. Mm -hmm. I know Annie Grace has one, she has an alcohol experiment, one that has thousands of people in there. There's a ton. I'm a part of at least 10 sobriety communities online. And in my early sobriety, uh, when I was struggling a bit and, you know, having cravings and stuff, and didn't yet have a physical community to go to. It was so nice for me to be able to just get on the internet at any time and hop in one of those groups and just vent and have people respond who can understand and connect with you. Like that was huge for me. So I think that's probably like my biggest piece of advice is just really work on your toolbox, find the podcast that you like, find the books that really help you find the community. And yeah, I'm really grateful to you guys for creating this podcast. I super love it. And I'm so grateful to be on. 
Yeah, I'm really glad that I connected with you. I want to thank you so much for all the work that you're doing with the Mindful Times community, because again, community is everything, um, regardless of where you are. If you're not even on a sobriety journey and you just listen to our podcast for other reasons, uh, community is, is what we as humans crave. So yeah. it's so important. So thank you. Um, and if you'd like to join Demi's community, I'll be posting links to all of her Instagram, Facebook, everything, and the show notes. So you can find her there. And um, I want to thank you again, Demi, and thank everyone for listening. And don't forget to subscribe and rate and review the podcast. And I will see you all next week.